took a big chunk bleeding. It's bleeding. Oh no, it's bleeding. The thing just ripped me ear off. What do you think? Hello everyone and a very happy new year to you all. Somewhat belated I know, but this is the first podcast of 2021, so it's a sincere greeting nonetheless. During the 2021 Super League season, Steve and I will hopefully be with you right the way through from first minute to last. But for this, the first edition of the year, we decided to take a different direction. Steve is currently at home basking, I trust, in the Australian sunshine. He sends his good wishes, of course. But he has stepped away from the microphone for the start of the new year because I wanted to talk to one of the sports legends, the one and only Kevin Sinfield. Leeds director of rugby, of course, but whose enterprise and courage during the back end of last year brought the sport of rugby league to worldwide attention. I'm talking about the seven unforgettable days at the back end of 2020 when Kevin ran a marathon a day to raise the awareness of motor neurone disease in the name of his former teammate, Rob Burrow, who so sadly is still battling away with MND. His intention was to raise £77,777, as of the weekend, a total of over £2.6 million has been donated. Incredible. And so I'm thrilled to have Kevin Sinfield for company on the first Eddie and Steve-O podcast of 2021. Kev, first of all, many congratulations on that achievement. Are you still running marathons now or have you at last got your feet up? Thank you, Eddie. It's great to be on here with you. Um, huge fan, as you know. So um, to answer your question, um, I'm not running, up, uh, running them at present, but um, I'll certainly run a couple this year. Will you? Goodness gracious me. I thought you'd have had enough of it by now. No, it's um, <clears throat> sort of after retiring. There's something there. There's a void that needs filling, and and I found running really helped. So, um, plus it gives you a challenge, something to focus on throughout the year. And I, you know, I said to myself that I'd do try and run two a year for, for different charities, which I've been able to do. Um, I started back in sort of 2017, my first two, um, and then obviously 2020 was very different for everybody and. With what what um, Rob was facing and sort of the challenges that were going on across the world, but certainly in the UK with COVID, uh, gave me an opportunity to run a few more, and and um, that really helped me actually. So I'm from my, my own mental state certainly really helped me in my mood, and um, delighted we we were able to get it done. Well, congratulations to you, and I know that that Rob was the motivation. Uh, just bring us up to date. How's how's he doing right now? Yeah, it's, it's been really difficult because um, since we've got down, gone back into the, the third lockdown, um, you can't have any face-to-face contact with him and you can't get in front of him to see him and see that sparkle in his eye. But we're, we're still in touch, but it's through text messages, sadly. Um, but he's good. He's still got his spirit. He's still as funny as ever. Um, he's still as witty as ever. Um, but it's just a shame because he's, he's obviously... He should be on that vulnerable category list, but he's not. Um, and, and I don't know why people with MND aren't on it, but they should be. And, and so just really conscious of the fact that 
Um, you know, we're in our own bubble bubble here at the Rhinos as, as the sport is at the minute. We're back in pre-season and given the second strain um, and the transmission element of it being more transmissible, just trying to be really careful really and, and protect him um, whilst trying to keep contact. So it's obviously difficult because he wants to live his life and he, he, he wants to get on with things, but it's almost stalled for him. But he's, he is, like I said, he's still in really good spirits and spent a lot of time at home, uh, homeschooling the kids, and, and I think he's really enjoying that. Oh, that well, that's that's good to know on on one side. But for goodness sake, I mean, people with motor neuron disease, they've got to be at the, the front of the queue, you would think, for a vaccination, wouldn't you? I mean, it, it beggars belief, really. It really does. Yeah, absolutely. I, th- I think that that's one thing so doing the marathons and you understand throughout all of it that there are so many worthy causes out there and different charities that do some wonderful things and so many serious illnesses and um, diseases out there that you know are as destructive as MND but absolutely it should be on that that vulnerable category list it should be top of the list with you know some of the other terrible diseases that are out there and, and um it's just a shame, really, because his his life's put on hold, and and as we know, the you know the figures surrounding, or the stats surrounding MND and sort of life expectancy, are, you know, they're not great at all. So it, it couldn't have come at a worse time for him. But he's absolutely making the best of it. Let's go back to the marathon days. Uh, just take us through it, would you? Because you're you're talking to someone here who's never run a marathon in his life, and and not likely to now. Um, just what was the experience like? of seven marathons in seven days. Did you have to drag yourself out of bed every morning or was or was the cause motivation enough? Yeah, it was brilliant. And, and I can say this, um, you know, from the bottom of my heart, it's, it's been the best thing I've ever done. Um, I think to be part of something where you don't expect it to be anywhere near where it goes, um, when it is born out of trying to do something for a minute and you end up in a position where the team end up raising just short of 2.7 million, uh, a lot of awareness, and we provide some hope to a lot of people across the UK and worldwide who, who have been almost um, ashamed or embarrassed about having this disease or knowing people who've been affected by it. And so to be able to play a part in that has been wonderful. And we set out, and, and obviously, the target, as you mentioned previously, was. Um, 77,777 so for it to do what it did and um, we're massively overwhelmed uh, the MND community absolutely got behind us and I think as the marathons went went through the days um, because of the support we had and you know people coming out to see us, people beeping their horns when they saw us running when we were in Leeds, the firemen came out and, and lined the street for us. Um, just so many wonderful different moments throughout it. Um, it spurred us on and, and absolutely energised us. So um, there were moments where I, I was in pain, but as you find out from your rugby league career, that there's a difference between pain and being injured. And you get used to being in pain and playing. And and and, and that was sort of some of the experience that I drew upon. We had a wonderful team who uh, were absolutely incredible throughout it. You know, the banter, the support, um, being back in a team was, was brilliant for me, Eddie. You know, to be to be thrust back in there and, and have that fun um, was wonderful. The most difficult part of, of the whole thing was 
the training run. So we decided we we're going to do it about six <laughs> weeks. Yeah, about six weeks beforehand. And um, somebody suggested to me um, I needed to do three and three. And um, they were that was horrendous. So I did that to sort of late October, early November, and um, some dark mornings, wet, windy, um, out on my own were pretty tough. Uh, but after I got through, you never felt three, like giving up, though, Kev. Never, never once. No, I, I did. I did during the three when I was training because I had said, if I'm going to do three, I might as well do seven. And, and day two of that was the darkest it got. But during the actual seven, um, no, not at all. Never crossed my mind. I was concerned that somebody may get injured and sort of a serious injury where you couldn't run. Um, that would have really hampered what we were trying to do. But I think sort of the rugby gods, the MND gods were shining on us and they looked after us. They made sure we got it done. Well, you did a, a truly amazing job and you raised the profile of MND the problems that Rob has got, uh, the sport of rugby league. And I must say, actually, congratulations to the BBC because they they seem to be with you every step of the way. And Sally Nugent did a fantastic job in keeping you in, in everyone's mind's eye. So, you know, it was a, it was a wonderful achievement from, from start to finish. And, and Rob was awarded the MBE, wasn't he, in the New Year's Honours list. How good is that? Yeah, it's wonderful. It's absolutely brilliant. I think... You know, let's not forget his career as a rugby player. I know we've all been um, inspired by how Rob has handled the last 13, 14 months. But as a rugby player, he was he's right up there with you know some of the best the country have produced. And to be five foot four and be such a giant in our game and and be such a, a good bloke off it, be a good mate, um, be a brilliant teammate in the dressing room. Um, you know that hasn't gone um, unnoticed throughout all of this but for him to get an MBE for for the whole thing you know from how he's been so courageous this last 13 months how he's been so brave and willing to share and and also take some of um, people's shame people's embarrassment away from what has been a, such a cruel disease over many many years and I think he's the way he's dealt with it and handled it, similar to Doddy Weir over in, in Rugby Union, um, I've made it, uh, I've made people understand and take note and want to help people who are struck down by this tragic disease and, and help the families as well because it's not just Rob who suffers through this, it's, you know, obviously Lindsay and the kids and his mum and dad and then the wider family as it reverberates through but then close friends, so many people affected by it and, um, you know, I think for him to be awarded the MBA for both is is wonderful, and we're all chuffed a bit for him. All those that played alongside him, all those that were his mates, so proud of him, and think he's done. You know, he's just been so strong throughout it. Indeed, so, and that and that goes for everybody who watched from the terraces, watched from a commentary box, open mouthed at some of the things that he used to do, and as you say, fantastic achievement, not only for what he's going through now, but his career, which was a, a glittering career. And talking of glittering careers, and I, I know you're a very modest man, uh, Steve-O and I dubbed you Sir Kev of Headingley many, many moons ago. Now, there have been calls to make that official. A petition calling on you to be knighted has been sound by over 30,000 of us for a start. Incredible. 
Yeah, I, I just think it's really nice, really humbling. Um, don't know, none of this has ever been about that. It's always been, especially if you just said to me at the start, we're doing these marathons, and even now, if you just said you'd have hit your target of 77,777, I'd have snapped your hand off. We was trying to yeah. do it for absolutely the right reasons, and, and when Rob first got diagnosed. Um, you know, we we went up to see Doddy Weir, and part of that car journey was myself and Rob chatting through what the next eighteen months could look like, and and we talked about uh, some fundraising efforts, and talked about pulling our our group, if you like, that that player pool and the club together to to raise some funds to make sure um, the family were looked after for the rest of their lives, and you know the. The money we targeted raising back in December was to try and get us to that target for Christmas, and that was purely what it was about. So um, for it to do what he did was wonderful. Um, you know all the other nice bits that have come on the back of it are wonderful, um, but it, it was all about keeping Rob at the forefront of people's minds. It was all about supporting the MND Association. And then selfishly, it was about me being back in a team. It was about me having another challenge that once you finish your playing career, um, a lot of that, it's really hard to replicate those those moments of satisfaction and, and buzz and the highlights that you've had. Um, it's really difficult in, I don't want to say normal life because um, it doesn't sound right, but actually when, you, when you're in a, a real job and you're not getting paid for something that you would do anyway, um, things change so the 77 selfishly you know give us all give all our team a purpose and, and give us all a chance to be back together and do so, you know spend some quality time together I knew when I was preparing this interview that that would be exactly the reaction that I would get from you it's not to do with me it's all to do with the cause it's all to do with you know raising awareness I got a lot out of it but listen um the Speaker of the House of Commons himself, who's a great rugby league fan, of course, Lindsay Hoyle, Sir Lindsay Hoyle, he mentioned you in Parliament during Prime Minister's Questions time. And um, Boris Johnson himself said, and I quote, I congratulate Sir Kevin. And he gave you his full support. It, it, it could be coming, you know, Kev. It, yeah. I could be calling, talking to a knight of the realm. Yeah, I, look, I can't see it. it, it it's um, it's really, really nice. What no, I can. People, I can. No, I, well, I, can. It's, I can see it coming. Yeah, it's really, really nice what people have said. And and, and it was funny that day because I got sent that message, uh, that clip of Boris probably about 50 times. Um, the support Rob has been able to garner from not just rugby league fans, the rugby league community has been wonderful, as they always are when something like this happens. But I think it's gone wider than that. It's, you know, rugby union fans are right behind it. England rugby union tweeted um, after one of the days. Um, the support throughout the year we've had from different sports for Rob has been incredible, and he absolutely deserves it. So um, yeah, I, th I think as a club we're we're absolutely delighted with the work we've been able to do with the MND Association, and probably more importantly, do you think of why we all started out on this journey? Um, on the back of Rob's diagnosis in December 2019, uh, to be where we are now, um, and for the club to be right behind it, to to have all rugby league behind it, is something that's massively special. And you know, it, it gives it gives Rob great comfort. What people think about him, the respect he's got, the love people have for him, and people genuinely care about him. So it's brilliant.
It is. It is absolutely fantastic. Look, we've had Sir Rodney Walker. We've got Sir Graham Lowe, who's been knighted in the New Zealand equivalent. Uh, but no rugby league player, past or present, has ever been dubbed by the Queen. Let me tell you that during the course of the season, on this podcast alone, Steve-O and I will not let it go until it happens. <laughs> anyway, let, let's... Well, thank you. Thank let, you very much. <laughs> I don't know whether we've got any influence, but we'll do our best. Oh, thank we'll you. do our best. So let, let, let's, move, let's move on. Uh, we'll come to your, your current role at Leeds a little bit later, but let, let's look back at your playing career, can we? And just as impressive as anybody's. Seven Super League titles, two Challenge Cups... Lance Todd winner, Man of the Match awards in the grand final twice, winner of the Golden Boot as the best player in the world in 2012, three World Club challenges. Not bad for a lad who began at Waterhead, is it? No, it's... Um, I sort of pinch myself anyway. It's, I feel so fortunate from um, you know, where it all started and then so fortunate with how it finished, really, you know, to finish your final game at Old Trafford winning the grand final in a treble year um, was we couldn't have written it any better and you know alongside some of my best mates that I've made throughout my life um, was wonderful I, I love the club to bits um, I absolutely love the sport to bits give me everything I've got you know my best memories are all in the sport and yeah I do I, f- I feel really really fortunate and, and I think because we got the ending we got it meant that you can close the book and sort of take some satisfaction that, you know, we did all right. And don't get me wrong, throughout that, there were some really, really tough moments, some difficult moments that every sports person has to face throughout the career. But I, w- I wouldn't change any of it because they make you who you are and, and that character at times has to come out during those tough moments and, and you test yourself and you see what you're made of. And But yeah, I... I yeah, I feel so lucky. I was at a, a wonderful club, um, the best in the game, in my own opinion. Um, but I was at a wonderful club who, who looked after me and showed me a great deal of loyalty. And, and the supporters have, you know, we've had some difficult moments, but I've absolutely been in my corner the whole journey. So I can't thank people enough. Fantastic. Yeah, I, I remember, whoa, right at the start of your career, um, you suffered at the time what must have been a, a major disappointment. You helped Leeds to the Challenge Cup final in 1999. I think I'm right, you were only a a mere teenager at the time. You put in a pivotal performance, I think I'm right in saying, in the semi-final. And then you were left out of the final itself. I was at a golf day for the Leeds Rhinos, I think the week before the final. At such a young age, how did you cope with all of that? Because this is a lesson for young players coming through. Yeah, it's tough. Um, you know, at the time, it was the worst thing that ever happened to me in my life, let alone sort of my playing career. Um, and we've just said it recently this year, or back in 2020. You know, we uh, Richard picked uh, a final team, and a couple of young blokes get left out, and and they don't remember back to sort of 1999. The, you know, the, some of them weren't even born then. <laughs> so um, actually, when we sit and talk to them. And, and explain actually look I've been here before Danny Maguire's been here before there are umpteen other uh, players across the game who've been here before and gone on to have decent careers um, we understand what you're going through so that certainly it certainly helped in that respect but it, it's looking back you know some of the difficult times I've had Eddie and, and certainly that's one of them um, the experience you get from going through it uh, make you better and 
absolutely devastated, disappointed, upset, you know, going home telling your mum and dad that, you know, it was, it was the only thing I ever wanted to do. Having, having played before a Challenge Cup final in 92 as a schoolboy at the old Wembley, to then get an opportunity to play in a major final and and have the opportunity to win a Challenge Cup and have it taken away from you is devastating. It's just, but you have to handle it. And I think, yeah, 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 that's the first time you have to make a choice. You have to decide whether you're going to sulk about it and you're going to get in your bed and pull the covers over and not want to speak to anybody and hope it fixes itself or you can do something about it. And, and that's what I tried to do. I, I tried to work as hard as I could at my game and tried to make sure that it never happened again. Well, it never did. Uh, you know, your, your career just stands out. The stats are unbelievable. Super League has never seen a goal kicker like you before or since. A record point scorer in the Super League. Third best in the history of the entire game, for goodness sake. Leeds record point scorer. What, what's been the secret of that success? I used to watch you kicking goals. And, you know, I, I drive a ball off a first tee now and everyone says, keep your head down. Keep your head down. Don't, you know, don't look up. You seem to keep your head down. And now and again, you never even saw it sail over the post. Yeah, it was uh, <laughs> uh, my golfing as good as yours, Eddie. I can tell you that. Um, <laughs> Blimey, well, you're in real trouble then. If that's <laughs> <I know>. the <laughs> case, <laughs> yeah, um, look, I, I think it's practice. Do you know, I, w- I was just yeah. prepared to spend hours and hours out there on the training field. And, and I think if you're looking for a goal kicker, the, the first thing you've got to do is enjoy it. And if you enjoy it, the hours of practice. They you know they fly by and they, they don't they don't matter. You're willing to do it no matter what the weather's like, no matter uh, what time of day it is, no matter where you are. You know you get a bag of balls and you get out there and, and go and kick for an hour. Um, I'd, I'd still I would I know this sounds daft. I'd still go and do it now. And now I don't I don't do it now. By the way, you know I've got I've got a 16 year old lad who does it now, and I kick him back from like my dad used to. But um, <laughs> I would still happily go and kick. For an hour, it, you know, I got a lot of joy out of it. I enjoyed it, and I think what it allowed me to do from the practice I put in was it gave me a lot of confidence that no matter how tight the game were or the pressure situation or no matter how hard the kick was, you know, I always believed that the ball was going to go over and go through. So I missed a fair few, and I'm, you know, I'm they're the ones that probably stick with you a little bit. But um, yeah, on, on a couple of occasions when perhaps the pressure was a little bit off because of you know if we go back to that 2003 semi-final kick at, um, at I think it's the John Smith Stadium now at Huddersfield um, nobody expected me to kick that and they're the ones where you go in with no pressure whatsoever and if it goes over you're a hero if it doesn't it doesn't really matter often the most difficult ones are within that sort of middle zone and you're 15-20 metres out and Nine out, well, ninety-nine thousand out of nine and nine hundred ninety-nine times out of hundred thousand, you'd kick it. But there's always that one where yeah. if you just if you're just not right on it, you're going to miss. And they're the ones people remember. So thankfully, I didn't have too many of those. No, no, you didn't. You did not. I remember a Challenge Cup final. I can't remember where it was. Was it Murrayfield? You had the choice to take a kick at goal for a draw, or you decided to run the ball for the win yeah. and all the rugby league officials I was sitting around were rubbing their hands they were looking forward to the replay and another two million pounds coming into the sport <laughs> and you decided to run the ball remember yes 
They yes. all put their heads in their hands. <laughs> they all put their heads in their hands. It didn't quite come off. Yeah, it's it, probably my first real test as a captain. Uh, it was my first year, um, 22-year-old. Um, do you know, I gambled, um, I suppose. So yeah. I, th- I think at the time, we played Bradford five times that year and got beat all five. So I was fully aware of um, sort of the, the gap in performance. And, and you know, we absolutely believed we could beat Bradford on the day, but as, as history would tell you, you know, we didn't beat them that year. So we were in with a shout. My own gut was um, I, I didn't feel that we'd be able to back up and win a replay. Although at the time, you know, this happened very, very quickly. Um, it, it was a kick that you'd be expected to kick. But at the time, I just felt we massively had the ascendancy. You know, we we were in a great position. Um, there was a couple of minutes to go on and I felt like we scored, we'd have put the nail in the coffin, they wouldn't have come back. Um, unfortunately, you know, we ended up uh, losing the ball on third tackle and I actually still feel to this day, if we'd have got to the back end of the, the set, we'd have scored. And it's all hindsight. And you, yeah. And you, 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 oh, of course it yeah, is. Yeah, yeah. We're all wise. Yeah, yeah. We're think, all wise after the event. I think, yeah. I think you understand that you know, when you make a decision like that, you open yourself up for criticism, but um, it absolutely battle-hardened me from then on in. You know, I knew what I was facing. I knew that my role as captain, there was there was going to be some tough decisions to make over the years. And um, you could probably say, you know, I'm, I'm sure 99% of people would say, oh, you got that wrong. Um, perhaps I did. You know, we lost the game. But um, I am still pretty confident that if we went back and had to play that again, it, some people might not be happy with this because they'll think that um, you know I'm not accepting I made a mistake. It's nothing to do with making a mistake. I just felt what ensued the set after the penalty wasn't good enough from us to lose the ball on third tackle. And I still believe to this day if we'd have played the set, we'd have won. So what I'm probably saying to you is um, I probably would have done exactly the same thing, Eddie. I bet you would. And you've got to listen. Captains and players on the field have got to be given the responsibility. You, you're down there. You, you test the heat. You know what's going on, and and you are confident, even to this day, so many years on, that that had you held on to the ball, the fourth, fifth, and sixth, you'd probably have scored. But well done to you. Hats off to you for that. You were part of the the golden era, weren't you? With Rob, Danny Maguire, we've mentioned Jamie Joe. I mean, we, the list is endless. Will we ever see the likes of that again, do you think? <laughs> I suppose as Leeds director of rugby, you certainly hope you will. Yeah, definitely. I definitely hope we, we do. Um, although, I think what it's become a real balancing act for me being back here now because it's important we remember, but it's also important we look forward and, and we don't use that golden generation as a millstone around the next lot's neck. Um, we've got to be really smart in how we position it and how we approach it and absolutely we want to generate something similar that gives those players the experiences and memories that I've had and friendships um, because they're invaluable and they're the most special thing I've got. But actually, um, to force it too hard, to push it too hard, um, to keep harping back about my day, I just don't think it, it helps anybody. So... We've got a great crop of young players now. Um, I think some of our development team and, and um, the work that has gone on for a number of years is now bearing some fruit and we've got some wonderful young players coming through. It does remind me of 
the early 2000s, but these guys have got to make their own path. And um, I think the Challenge Cup final last year was a great step forward for us. We'll improve again this year, albeit with some some difficulties for everybody. Every club's going to have some difficulties this year. So I think it's going to be another strange season, but we are improving. And, you know, very much you mentioned that I, I do hope that this next batch get to experience some of the things that our group did. And, and, and that isn't about winning and success and lifting trophies. Of course, I want that from, but actually... Like I, like I just touched upon, the things that matter the most to me now are the friendships. And you can see that in, in the way the groups rallied around Rob. Um, you know, I, I don't know whether there are many other sports that would create the same camaraderie and bond and togetherness that, that we've been able to do here. So, um, something I'm really proud of. So you should be, and I, I'm 100% with you. I don't think any other sport in the world would do what, what you lads have done for Rob and, and for the Leeds brand and everything else. We've touched on the, the grand final of 2015. You won the treble that night. You, you bowed out. That must be one of the, the great memories, as you've already alluded to. But then, uh, you know, my jaw dropped. You went over to the dark side, Kev. You went to Rugby Union. <laughs> you were never, yeah. you were, you were <laughs> going to be lost, though, to our game, were you? No, I think it was really, it was really important to me. Um, you know, I think sort of the last couple of years in league, mentally I was tired, and um, I weren't ready to retire. I felt I needed a, a different challenge, and the opportunity to play two professional sports was was something that um, I felt I couldn't turn down. And I'd had a, a number of different options throughout my, my career where there's a chance to go either to the NRL or over to rugby union, and you know, never once. Um, was I ever that close to do it but actually having won the Challenge Cup final in 2014 having been dropped for my first one having lost five as captain which is a record that you, you didn't you didn't <laughs> remind me of at the start but it's certainly something you know on my list of achievements it's up there because it it it, it matters to me the fact that the support we got throughout all that time was wonderful uh, but to lose five and then suddenly we beat Castleford in that 2014 final. That that changed a number of things for me. Um, almost like, you know, I, I knew we had a couple of years left. Um, and I wanted to make sure I'd not left any stone unturned from a career perspective. And I got the opportunity to, to obviously jump over for a, sh- a short amount of time. I did seven months in total. and But I don't regret any of it. <laughs> I, honestly, I don't. I'm sure you don't. The, the lads were brilliant. The, the lads were great and it was a different experience. And, and actually, I'd been in that same dressing room since I was 16. So what was about to happen to me next in that transitional stage where you go from being a player to having a real job, um, <laughs> it, it gave me an insight into going into a new dressing room or, or a new office space, if you like, uh, making new friends and friendships and, and testing myself. It was a real challenge, uh, but I loved it. Well, you, 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 you love the challenge of everything. You come up trumps every time. You, you, you had uh, a bash when you finished playing altogether. You were the Rugby League's director for reviewing and developing performance strategy leading up to this year's World Cup. That's, that's quite a title. You gave that a couple of years. Then you returned to Leeds as their first ever director of rugby. And from what you're saying and what you've said already in this, 
Um, it's not going too badly at the moment. It, it was a tough start, though, wasn't it? Leeds were struggling at the time you moved in. Yeah, it's, it, it's been um, it's been a real tough transition from playing, actually. Um, I think I'd prepared as well as I could. I'd studied for eight years, two degrees behind me, and um, felt I was I was in a really good headspace to move on to what came next and, and little do you know what, what what's thrown at you those first couple of years from retirement and the void that you miss from playing and um, the satisfaction you get every weekend from from playing all the disappointment you get you know that roller coaster is, is certainly taken away um, so joining the RFL was great you know I really enjoyed my time there worked closely with John Roberts and and, um, and Wayne Bennett now, um, I had a really good working relationship with Wayne um, and Jamie Peacock was part of that. We had a really good team, of course, with JP anyway, but the three of us worked really well together and, um, you know, Ralph, who stepped up as CEO towards the back end of my time at the RFL, was wonderfully supportive of us and, um, unfortunately, you know, you, you look at sort of what we, what we did with those England teams, which I ended up overseeing, um, you know, unfortunately, it gets gets masked by the the GB tour in 2019 when, um, yes. you know, it just wasn't great at all. That I understand that, um, but actually, what we got going in the background in the run up to sort of the 2021 World Cup was all those England teams were on board. They were all making improvements. You know, we took the wheelchair team on tour to Australia. We took the women's team on tour to PNG. Uh, the women got paid for the first time ever and it was a part of that which was wonderful and, and if you look back at the 2017 World Cup to miss out um, sort of on, on lifting that World Cup trophy with the men's team was was we were really really close and I actually felt we were making huge strides but unfortunately um, results are important aren't they and the decision was made not to renew Wayne's contract um, at the start of the start of 2020 and um, you know I decided then having juggled both roles for best part of 18 months that it was the right thing to to step aside and, and let somebody else do it because I, I just didn't I, I did not have any family time at all I was just working all the time and the job at Leeds was so demanding and challenging the job with England was wonderful and I, you know I really really enjoyed it but it but it was just it was very time consuming as well and I absolutely would have stayed on if, if Wayne would have got the job, but I felt um, that it was the right time to move on. And um, I am so hopeful that our England team can produce this year in the World Cup. I think our sport absolutely needs a shot in the arm, especially on the back of COVID. And, and if our men, women and wheelchair teams can go and do what I know they're capable of, uh, it, you know, it'd be great to have played a very, very small part in it at, at the outset. So, um, so that was sort of England, and then it. I think stepping down really allowed me to. I don't want to say focus on Leeds because that's unfair. Because I put so much time into it, but it gave me some family time back, and and with that, it gives you a lot of time to reflect. And um, I, I think enjoy some of it. But it certainly was a, a challenge coming back. There were things that um, had changed since I'd left. And uh, some had changed for the better, absolutely had. But, but some of it, you know, needed fixing up. And unfortunately, that doesn't happen overnight. And we've spent a couple of years getting it 
to a stage where we're improving now every week and you know I've, I've been really happy to be a part of that. I'm, I'm sure you have and now you and Richard Agar planning for 2021 we're on the threshold of a, of a new season but there is a meeting coming up this week to decide the actual date that we kick off um, I think it's been put back to March uh, to uh, March the 25th already um, but obviously the clubs have got to vote on that it, it's going to be another incredibly difficult season getting underway isn't it in, in this current crisis it really is yeah it is yeah it is and, it, and it's so challenging for everybody I mean when you look at our sport it has. It's been really, really difficult. You know, our the championship and League One have been affected. Super League has been massively affected. We saw what happened to Toronto, and then you look at sort of the lower levels of the game, academy, scholarship, women, um, all different elements. Community game has been shut down for a large period of time now. So it's going to be a real challenge for the sport. But every sport is facing this. Every industry is facing this. Every business out there has, has faced some hardship. So um, it is. It's going to be another um, really difficult year for everybody. But um, I think if we can hold our nerve and stick in and um, show that true rugby league spirit that we have, um, irrespective of who picks those trophies up at the back end of sort of 2021, um, it's really important we all get through safe and healthy and, and, and try and make sure the sport is in the best possible condition it can be in. Well, it's a resilient a resilient sport. There's no question about that. It has been since its birth in 1895. I, I suppose I, I should ask this question of your mate Boris Johnson, really. It's not one for you, in all fairness. When, when do you think we might get the crowds back? Because the crowds are so important, aren't they, to rugby league? Yeah, I agree. I agree. And, and because sort of our, our crowds are a real mix as well, do you know, it is, it is a real family game. So... It has been strange not having crowds, and it's something the players have certainly missed. But but I think everybody's missed. Everybody's missed going to a game. Everybody's missed the atmosphere. Um, honest answer, I don't know. Um, I think you know before sort of the second strain kicked off again, we were all hoping that you know for the start of the season there'd be some crowds. As you've rightly said, the season date's been put back. Um, but I suppose we'll see. And there are some promising signs. I think, you know, the fact that so many have been vaccinated now, although they're of that older age group, um, as soon as it starts to waterfall and filter down, um, hopefully we'll be in a much better place. I'd, I'd love to see crowds back for the start, but but I just can't see it happening at this stage. And, you know, fingers crossed it yeah. won't be too far after that start day that we get some back. Yeah, please, please God, it'll be sometime in in early summer. Um, look, your, your playing recruitment seems to be going okay. Um, St Helens remain the team to be to be beaten. I think we all agree with that. And Sean Long has been synonymous with the Saints over the years, and he's now joined your coaching staff at Headingley. This this could be the biggest appointment at the club in years, couldn't it? Well, I, I think you're right to mention Saints there. I think there are a number of sides you'll challenge this year, but you know. I think Mike Rush there has done a wonderful job. Um, they brought a lot of young players through who understand the DNA at Saints. And the last couple of coaches they've had in Justin Albrook and Christian Wolfe have, you know, have been excellent for them. So I think there's, they'll certainly set the benchmark. Um, but yeah, Longy. So so Longy came and did some some work with us in pre-season last last pre-season. Nobody knew. Um, Harlequins were aware of it. He came and did probably four or five sessions with our halves and, and did some team stuff. He's got a wonderful 
rugby brain. He's very smart. Then I'm fortunate enough to play alongside him, albeit not as many times as I'd like, but certainly played against him. And he'd been a thorn in our side you know, a number of times, especially sort of them early to mid 2000s when Saints were just unbelievable. So, um, but yeah, he's it gives us a real mix in our coaching team. Um, his attacking mindedness is, you know, is, is as good as anything out there. I believe. I think Jamie Jones is our defence coach. Jamie's done twelve months already in that role now, but such a, an out the box thinker, such a hard worker. You've seen from how he plays the game or how he used to play the game. He was so tough and determined and loved the physical stuff. So the pair of them give a really really good mix, and then it gives Rich that overseeing role where he's. You know, he's been really smart. He seems really happy with his coaching team. He really wanted Sean to come in. And I think it was a different appointment. It's probably not a typical Leeds appointment, but it was absolutely what we needed. And I feel that coaching team is as strong as a coaching team as we've had for a number of years. So really enjoying working with the three of them. Um, It's great to see them out on the field and some of the stuff they're implementing at the minute. But yeah, look... I've seen Rich called Longy a genius. Um, I think, to be fair to Jamie Jones as well, he's a genius as well. And the three of them make a wonderful partnership. Brilliant. Something to look forward to. What, what, would, you, what would you settle for now, Kev? If you, if you could wave a magic wand and say, well, we'll have that, what would you settle for now? On the field, have you got a goal? Have you got a trophy that you would welcome more? I know you've already got the Challenge Cup in the boardroom there, but what would you take now if you could? Yeah, um, well... Whether we like it or not, people are going to judge us on results and, and whether we win trophies or not. Um, I think that's obviously important for us. We're here to win, as is every other team. So, you know, we want to win trophies. But I think probably a step back from that for us also would be um, our pathway players and players that we produce ourselves and getting them through into our first team is really important to me. I've been one of those myself and understanding yeah. what our club is built on and what the core has always been built on um, it's those young players that come through and I think we've got a really good core at the minute a really good set of homegrown young players with a number of outstanding sort of internationals and world class players from around um, different parts of the world so absolutely pushing on for trophies but certainly to make sure that our youth system is as good as it can be and I think we all realise when we get out of COVID and the community game starts up and running and all our scholarship and academy programmes are back uh, working like they should, it's going to take a bit of time to get people up to speed and how we develop those young players moving forward is going to be really important. So probably two-pronged, Eddie. I'd, you know, I'd, of course, I want us to win a trophy. It's, it's why we're all here. Of course. Look, last question. This has been fantastic. Um, personally... Your next big challenge? I don't know at all. I think um, the last 12 months, I've learned a lot about myself. And I think we've all been quite reflective throughout COVID. Um, You throw in the last 12 months with Rob. um, You throw in the effects and how I felt on the back of the 7-7. I'm I'm not quite sure what the future holds for me, but what I would say is... um, I love our sport. What I've really got a passion for is helping people and the satisfaction I got from the 7 and 7. Um, I, I don't think I've ever had anything like that. So part of my role here is helping people and getting people to be better and improving people. 
if, if I could have my time again and my time back at uni again, I should have trained to be a doctor. I know Jamie Roberts did it in rugby union. That's probably what I should have done. I don't mind blood and guts. And, you know, I'd love to be on the front line helping people now. So um, I'm not quite sure, really. I'm not quite sure. Well, Kevin, look, you have been, you've been so generous with your time. Thank you for that. Uh, personally, it's been a, a pleasure, a privilege, an honour to catch up with you again. You're a, I, don't, I don't want to make you blush, but you're a great role model. You're a wonderful player, but more important than ever, you're a great bloke. And whatever accolades come your way, I know you're going to accept them in your usual modest, unassuming style. But for now, oh. Sir Kev, thanks for joining me on this podcast. It's been, a, it's been an absolute privilege. Thank you, Eddie, any time. And thanks for being so kind to me as well. You're a top man. Not a problem. It has, been, it has been fascinating. There we go then. I hope you, all of you listening at home, have enjoyed it as much as I have here. And so until the next time, when we'll get Steve-O back on board, I don't think he'll talk as quite as much sense as Kevin. <laughs> Goodbye, and most importantly, stay safe. <laughs>